Welcome back to the Helping Up Podcast, all about addiction, recovery, and grace. I'm Vic King, chaplain at Helping Up Mission in Baltimore, Maryland, and this month, Pastor Gary interviews Dustin Imes. Dustin is a graduate of our spiritual recovery program who's now on staff. Dustin's story includes injuries he sustained in the line of duty as a firefighter, as well as some painful losses that he sustained and grieved while he was in the recovery program here at Helping Up. I hope you find this story encouraging. And this Thanksgiving weekend, I just wanted to encourage you to take the time to sit down and hear some stories from loved ones in your life, whether it's friends or family members. And if you want to take it a step further, there's an organization called StoryCorps that has been facilitating beautiful conversations between friends and family members for years. And and they actually have an app that guides you through the process of doing the kind of interview that, that we do here with these guys. Uh, with someone you love. So I encourage you to check that out if you're interested. StoryCorps. Oh, and at the end of this episode, I'm throwing in a little Thanksgiving bonus. It's a poem written by a man while he was at Helping Up whose themes resonate with some of the themes in Dustin's story. So stick around for that. Okay, Dustin Imes, good to have you here, bro. Thanks. Uh, we first met you when? November of 2014. And uh, what got you here in November of 14? Heroin. <laughs> How many years? Um, heroin I did for probably three years. Did heroin. Um, what, what before heroin? Percocets. Any opiate I could get my hands on. And how how did that happen? I was in the fire department and uh, fell through a flight of steps. And just in the process of trying to recover from that, I was prescribed pain pills and just started needing more and more and more. And then uh, when I couldn't pass the physical to go back to the fire department, uh, insurance got cut off, so which means the doctor got cut off, and I realized I was really ad- I was addicted to them. I started feeling the withdrawal, and I started buying them on the street, and uh, that started getting a little expensive. Uh, up until that point, did you um, did you realize that you had a problem, or were you taking them appropriately and didn't really see it? At first, maybe for the first six months, it was appropriate. Um, after that, I, I was enjoying the feeling. I liked the feeling. Mm-hmm. It was year. Wow. A little over a year. Good one. And then they got cut off. Well, first, uh, thank you for your service as a firefighter. And then what uh, what jurisdiction were you in? Baltimore City. Okay. So it uh, it got it, you got cut off, started buying on the street. And then uh, the usual story is somebody said, well, um, look, I got something cheaper or better. And is that what, what happened? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So, I, well, my money was low, but I had enough to get at least one. And uh, But I couldn't get my hands on nothing, so I called a buddy as like a last-ditch effort. And he said, I don't have any Percocets, but I have something else that's stronger and costs just as much. And I didn't take it at first, but then I called him back probably like 15 minutes later. And uh, picked it up, I snorted it, and it was off to the races from there 
uh, snorted and then eventually shot, shot it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's the that's the, the pattern. Luckily, I wasn't. I only. I didn't shoot for very long. Luckily, it was only. It was a little less than a year that I shot the IV, and uh, luckily, luckily, the uh, the the pain uh, that like that day when you first you, you first took took heroin for the first time. Were you in a lot of physical discomfort, or was it more mental? No, at that point, I was using them for fun, for yeah. just for the feeling, and trying to maintain really. But at that point, the physical pain was gone. I couldn't, I still couldn't do certain stuff as far as my knee went, but it was more for me. Yeah. Were, you, were you able to hold it down a job in those days? Yeah. After yeah. the firefighting years, unless I was going through withdrawal because I wasn't able to get anything, and then call out of work and eventually get fired but I graduated high school from military school and I was always able to get a job easily keeping it was a problem but I could always at least find work yeah yeah but Uh, so you wound up in detox yeah how'd that that happen a couple different times I went to detox but the before I came here I was at uh I went to Bayview and I just I woke up one morning and it was kind of the same situation from when I first tried heroin, but uh, I couldn't find anything, so I went and picked up a Suboxone, and I took that in the morning, and I just sat around all day in the apartment that I had, hating myself, hating life, cussed God a lot, just wondering what went wrong, and uh, I was debating it then to go to detox. About a week before that, something like that, my sister and my mom had pulled me up and kind of did an intervention type thing. My, it got pretty heated. My sister kind of slapped me a little bit. But uh, I was raised Catholic, not strict Catholic. But she didn't. I didn't go have to go to Catholic school. or She didn't make us go to church on Sunday. But my sister actually was, is still real spiritual. And uh, she's big one. She still goes to church every Sunday. So she was more of my spiritual leader when I was younger. But as I got older, high school came and went to military school, went in the fire department. I was still spiritual, wasn't practicing much. But, uh, I mean, we were, she was a single mom. So, I mean, she worked two jobs and there was really no time for to go to church and stuff like that. So, but my sister was more of my spiritual. Because even growing up, when I would spend the summers at her house, when she, uh, moved out and was on her own work and she used to make me sit down and read the little children's bible books and the stories and john three sixteen is still one of my favorite verses mm-hmm. because she used to hang it have it hanging above her couch so still older sister older yeah. i mean all them books sank in so i knew i believed i've always believed i might have always not acted like i believe but i always believe i know he's my savior um, but uh, I kind of veered away from it as I got a little bit older, and especially once things started going bad. Now, another part of your life then was a wife and, 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 and kids. When did you get married? Me and her met at, right after I graduated military school, and uh, we the plan was to go into the military, but... I was going to go in the Navy, and uh, stuff happened. She ended up getting pregnant, so that's where the fire department came along. Daughter was born in 2005, 
and we got married, I'd say, the end of 2007, let's say. What was the situation with her over your drug addiction? She she used to. And I don't. I, I still carry a lot of that with me because I just told her. And I mean, it was peer pressure, really. I told her, you got to feel what this feels like. And me being the provider and protector, all she listened to me. Yeah. Um, so we used together. It was a toxic, toxic relationship. She, uh, she's still in active addiction now. She don't see her daughter. She's living in a motel with some guy. But uh, I still carry that guilt a little bit, but because she's still in active addiction, and somehow my life was saved. Man, so so you had two children, mm-hmm. and. Um, and so you left the house. Did she throw you out of the house? Uh, what happened? Were you still living at home when you wound up in detox? I was by myself. I was by myself. Okay, yeah, so we had ended up through the years. It was toxic. We were on and off, on and off. Um, and then I was right before I went to detox. I was trying to make it work. I don't know what I was thinking trying to make it work i knew it was a toxic relationship but it's like it's like addiction it's, once you're used to you're used to something that we're creatures of habit so i mean you're, i'm used to her being around so i wasn't comfortable being by myself i don't blame my drug use on that but i masked a lot of pain from all that because i know i had messed up so bad well and you had two children and and you know for the kids sake you're willing to try some stuff so i i understand and you know, it was a gallon effort, just uh, just struggle. So you had that intervention with your mom and your sis, and your wife was out of it, uh, yeah, out, she out wasn't of the even, deal, and yeah. in her own addiction struggles. <clears throat> um, and at that point, where were the kids? Were they with you, with her, with her mom? They were with her back and forth. She so if her if she was getting to the point where she couldn't, her sister would help out, which is ridiculous. But I mean. It was a blessing for the kids. Yeah. So they were always back and forth. And that's another, a lot of guilt I carry is my yes. daughter being bounced back and forth yeah. through that whole thing. Yeah. And of course, I think, um, I think the fact that you feel that guilt is a healthy thing. Um, but what we want to be able to do is eventually there, we need to turn that over to oh, God yeah. and leave it with him but I think I always think it's healthy when we can man up and say, it allows me to be a better father today yeah, it really absolutely does. it really does so so you had the intervention they got you to go to detox yeah it took a week about a week or so because it didn't sink in right there I was a little mad at first so I went through the cycles of emotions yeah so. yeah finally you surrendered yeah uh, and how long were you in um I went to Bayview Detox I <clears throat> they weren't even going to accept me, so I was lucky to even get in. I had to tell them uh, that I was going to kill myself. And uh, stayed there about, it was seven days, I would say. That's, that's a long time. Yeah. You were pretty sick. I was. If I, I kept you seven days, you were pretty sick. It took me a good four or five of those days just to feel normal. It took two days to even get out of bed because yeah. I was hurting. Yeah. My with, withdrawal is no joke. So uh, so after seven days, uh, what was the plan? I had a bunch of stuff cross my mind while I was in there. I wanted to go back out and use again. I wanted to go somewhere long term. Um, I didn't have insurance, so that was 
my driving factor. So I figured, oh, well, they're not going to be able to do nothing for me. I'm going to end up right back out where I was. There's no point in fighting it. And yeah. uh, luckily, I had a little angel on my way, on my shoulders. My, I wish I could meet her still to this day because it was one of the social workers at Bayview came and saw me and pulled me in the office. She's like, you really need to do something. And I don't like the way this is going. I had lost. I told him how much I weighed before I started using and I was down to 145 when I went into detox. And uh, I'm normally around 215. And uh, she's like, it's not going good. You're going to end up dying. And I believed her. Yeah. Um, I believed it 100%. And uh, well, she sat me down in the office. We started going over things. She's like, your insurance isn't going to come through right away. I already put in the application. But there's this other place. And she said, helping up mission. And uh, she's like, it's a year-long program. And right there, I was like, whoa, <laughs> a year? Like, I don't know. And uh, she started rolling, showing me videos on YouTube of Bobby gaming, talking. And as soon as the my first question to her was, I don't know about the neighborhood. And I just started making excuses <laughs> of why I couldn't go. Like, I've been in, like, the neighborhoods I was hanging in was so good. <laughs> and... Uh, I let it sink in. We sat there. She sat there with me for a good 15, 20 minutes, just yeah. watching the videos with me and going back and forth. And I made the decision to come. I told her, I'm like, all right, well, what do I have to do? She said, do a phone interview and uh, you'll leave from here and go directly there. So uh, so she had you call Kevin. Yeah. Well, he, uh, she had already talked to him. And uh, okay. yeah, so she gave me the number. I called him. Yeah, and he picked up the phone, and I, he made—he scared the hell out of me. I was just—at was like, first, I thought I was—he was real upfront, real. He already knew what I was thinking because the first thing that crossed my mind, he's like, "I'm going to get you a cab here." I'm like, "All right, well, I can get a cab to right up the street from there, stop and get something, and then then go right. get one last one, right. which kills a lot of people." Yes, yes. And uh, he's like, "Don't you dare get out of the cab." I don't want, I'm going to know if you show up here and you stop somewhere else and you got something, believe me, if you come in here like that, you're going right back out the door. Scared the hell out of me. So I was like, all right, well, I'll stay in the cab. And they pulled up, picked me up. We pulled up out front. I was like, oh man, here we go. I was just scared and nervous. I was going through so many different emotions. Physically... Were you feeling okay physically? No, I was still, I was sore. I mean, the, the effects from withdrawal can affect you for over a year after yeah. being clean. Yeah. So it took, I was still feeling it and a lot, and a lot of the mental stuff. Cause you don't, you don't, I was using drugs for so long. I didn't know how to live yeah. without them. Yeah. So yeah. it was, it's a sad thing. I look back on it now, but. Did you have a place that, that, that you were living in that you had to give up? When, yes. you, when you came? Yep. All right. And then did you have a job at that point when you came uh, in? I got fired. And then two weeks later, they did the inter- my sister, and That's when my sister and mom came. And then a week later, I was in. Would you have lost your place anyway? Because you wouldn't have been able to pay for it after getting fired. Yeah. So it really, it all kind of dovetailed together. It was yeah. the right time to, to make the move. So you didn't really want to come, but you came. You didn't think you'd spend a year uh when did that change so first i was just i'll go through the blackout fees and i'll get right i'll gain a little bit of weight change my oil and i'll be good 
you know, I'll get back out there and, you know, get to work. And I was here probably three months before I actually decided, three or four months of going to the graduations every Friday, going to the classes with you and Mike Rollo. And it, it took a good, it took three months before I finally realized, because I didn't even, I didn't want to be here those first three months. It was, it's rough. It's an adjustment. And what helped you to decide at that three-month point? What helped you to say, you know, I, I need to stay or I want to stay? What helped you to do that? I liked the way I was feeling. Mm-hmm. I liked being able, I was, le- at that time, I was going to visit my mom. She was in a nursing home. Yeah. And right. uh, I was going to visit her every day. And every time I'd see her, she pumped my head up saying, you're looking good. You're walking tall now. I like the way everything's going. Keep it up. It was just, it was perfect, man. I was feeling good. I starting to gain my weight back. <clears throat> really, the talks with her is really what. That's powerful. And of course, that's going to be really come important in just a minute as we go a little farther. Yeah, because when I was here, I started building the uh, a strong support network. I was making good friends. And uh, it took a good three months to figure out who's serious, who's not. So I got in with a good group of guys. We got out. We started playing softball together. And we were pretty – we all played sports when we were younger, but we were all learning to live again. We were learning to play again, learning to have fun again. And uh, the friends that I made here that are still my friends today, my fam- I consider them family now. Yeah. But they were a big reason. They're a big driving force. And if you ask them, I'm sure they say the same thing. There's no way we'd be where we are now without each other supporting each other because yeah. we still hold each other accountable every day. Yeah. And awesome. three of you here on staff now. Yeah. Yeah. So you had those those talks with mom, which were just so pivotal for your recovery. Um, she was in the hospital because? Uh, she had colon cancer. And it was bad. Yeah, it was terminal. Well, she had uh, breast cancer when I was younger. When I was like eight, I don't remember details of it. I just remember the day she told people and the emotions that were around the house. And uh, so it's something she had fought. She's a lifetime smoker. She's she busted her butt my whole life trying Tough to take. Girl. Yeah, she yeah. A single mom. And how she did it. She worked two jobs, and she really didn't have time for herself. But uh, she found out she the col- she found out she had colon cancer a few years before that. So it was here and in remission and then back and in remission. But the last time it came back, it was too late. They uh, diagnosed her as terminal. She was part of your intervention. She's dying, and she sees you doing well, and that was so important for you. It was. Yeah. It was really good at the end. It was better than I think ever because we were so close, and I got to the point where I was telling, I would tell her everything, stuff that I would hide from her about using needles and stuff, something that no mother wants to hear her son's doing. But I was finally able to open up with her, and she told me a lot of stuff about herself too. So it was, I thought. <clears throat> we were closer than ever at that time. And, and it's liberating to be yeah. able to share that stuff with somebody that, that it's appropriate to share with. It's awesome because it's kind of a blessing that we knew she was terminal because yes. we got to know each other really deep. Yeah. You know, she told me a lot of stuff because my father wasn't around. She told me a lot of stuff about him. Uh, it was awesome. It was, probably, it, was, it was liberating. It was yeah. good to get everything off my chest and put it all out there. And probably the same for her. Yes, I, I don't doubt that. And that was the, what, when we were, I went there one Sunday morning. We didn't have softball and I went there and they did a church service. 
<clears throat> at the cafeteria at the nursing home. And I think that was probably the first, we prayed together there for the first time, probably since I was a little boy. And that was, I still remember, I still yeah. remember that. Yeah. So while she was terminal, <clears throat> your kids are in a, a reasonably good setup at this point. You and mom are doing, doing really well, best ever. You're feeling good about yourself. There's a lot of positive things, but life showed up. Mm-hmm. Say a word about that. So I got a phone call, and my son, he was four at the time, and uh, he got real sick. He went in the hospital, got real sick. It was pneumonia, and then when he was in the hospital, somehow it caught a blood infection, so they had to put him on a ventilator. He wasn't breathing on his own. So I got that phone call, and then he started progressing. Everything was going good. They took him off the ventilator. But when they took him off, I guess he, he wasn't ready. He, he still couldn't breathe on his own. And uh, by the time they noticed it and, re- and got the ventilator back in, he was already brain dead. And uh, At age four. At age four. And um, it was already too late. There was nothing nobody could do. You, you had actually gotten some good news. It was sounding good. And then it just went went yeah. went really bad, really fast. <clears throat> so <clears throat> you got word at at helping up mission. You'd been here about six months at that point, five months. Yeah, I was going life prep that next week. So yeah. Okay, so yeah, six around six months. Coming up in six months, you got the call, and and you were going to go to the hospital to really say goodbye and and um, take him off life support. And your buddies. Yeah, they uh goes back to the friends again. The yeah. people I built and had was blessed enough to have come into my life, and they they rallied around me. They wouldn't, they didn't let me lay around and get in my own head, which any addict knows that's a dangerous place to be, especially going through something like that. Because I was thinking, I was thinking about using, and they didn't give me a chance. They pulled me out of my bunk. They they were there the whole time. It was awesome. That day, they stood outside my classroom and said, "We got it." Motion to me, we got to talk. And um, they told me what had happened. I, I I didn't know anything about it. And they said, "We, we won't let him go by himself. We can't let him go by himself." Because you really hadn't said much to anybody. No, I was quiet. Um, you were them because they were your friends. And they refused to let you go. So I, I was standing out in the hall. My class was still going, still waiting on me. They called Mike. And um, Mike said, uh, I'll be there in about five minutes. Tell them to do whatever they got to do to hold him. And uh, so he came right up. You guys, I, were you standing outside even when he when he came up? I can't remember. Um, I think I went out and I... Went out and smoked a cigarette, and I came back in, and I was just sitting in 31. I think I had my headphones in, just listening to music by myself. And your buddies were nearby. Yeah, oh, well, I knew something was going on because that I seen Mike Rollo come around the corner, and here comes Sean and Chris and yeah. Nick, and they all come walking behind them. I'm like, here we go. Yeah. I was like, here we go. And they went with me. and Yeah, all, they all the three of you guys got in Mike's car, drove to the hospital, and they stayed with you. Because yeah. you had to take care of everything you had to do that day. Yeah, and it means a lot, too, because Sean, he still had a son, wasn't even one yet, you know, so he still had an infant. 
and to see my son laying there, you know, it's got to be hard on him. The other guys didn't have kids, but Mike does, Sean does. So it's for him to, I mean, he's like my brother to this day. For him to stay there and be there with me through all that, that just built a bond that I don't think will ever be broken. Yeah. So, um, so you were numb after that happened. You were just, you were just numb and, and you, um, you talked if, if, if we made you, you know, you, you, I mean, you weren't hiding from us, but you just didn't have anything to say. You were just numb. You really thought about using, but the biggest reason you didn't, as you look back, was probably what? I lost him and my big motivating factor was I didn't want it to be for nothing. I didn't want to lose all the progress I had made, all the trust I had built back up already at that point, because if I was most of these people, I wouldn't trust me to this day. And uh, I just came too far. And what's the, why go out and use when it's just going to make it worse? You were clear-headed enough to think that through. You really were. You'd been clean long enough to really think that through. Yeah, it's just going to make it worse. And then you're not going to find a bigger motivating factor than to do it to make somebody proud you do it for yourself yes and that's awesome but to see the the face on everybody when they see me at that and even at that now and even at that point you know it was awesome I love seeing the look on my mom's face I love that my daughter smiles back at me now you know it was so that that particular day um, what was your mom's condition at that point she wasn't too she wasn't doing good at all. She was uh she couldn't even make it to his funeral. She uh was starting to get real delirious, like end end stage, you know, she was she was there but she wasn't. So you really at that point you and the mom couldn't have a meaningful talk, uh, which you would which would have been so valuable up until then and at that point she was just not able to do that. You had friends who forced themselves on you to yeah. to, to get you to talk and make you do things. Um, so you you you, um, you you went and and took your son off life support. You wrestled through that that week and and didn't didn't pick up and took suggestions and just sat still long enough um, to work through it a little bit. But then one week later, three three, three weeks, weeks later, to the day, three weeks to the day. Yep. Um. So my older sister, the same one that was there with my mom for the intervention, had called me, and uh, she got a call from the nursing home saying she didn't have much longer, probably a day or two. So she called me and told me that uh, she was going to be coming up, and we had already made arrangements with the funeral the, the home, the nursing home, to be there with her. They were going to let us stay the night. They'd set us up. That way we could be with her. And uh, even though she couldn't grasp it, which at the end I think she did, but... So my sister came up from Salisbury and picked me up, and I had made arrangements, which was all, they were awesome here about it. They let me go during the weeknight so I could be there with her. And uh, I was lucky enough to be there when she took that last breath. I was able to be there. I was on one side, my older sister on the other, and I'm sure that's the way she would have wanted it. Yeah, yeah. And three in, in three weeks, you lost your son in a, incredibly surprising turn of events and you lost your mom knowing she was going 
how 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 hard was it to keep going at that point? With my mom, I was at peace. To be honest, it wasn't as a big a shock as it was with my son. I was at peace knowing that she wasn't hurting no more because she was hurting at the end. To be honest with you, I just felt gratitude because if I would have picked up after my son passed away, yeah. I wouldn't have been yeah. able to be there with my mom. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it just kind of put everything in perspective for me, man. As hard as it was, I was actually, it was peaceful. She went out, it was peaceful. You know, we were able to be there with her. I was clean, clear, clean and clear-minded and... I was really, I was at peace with it. She was at peace. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad me and my sister got to share that moment. It's yeah. not a great moment, but she went home. You yeah. know, she she was at peace. She's not hurting no more. I was, it was, I was not glad, but I was just. Relieved. Yeah, I was just, she's yeah. good. Man. Yeah. So then you, 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 you have to pick up the pieces. And now, you know, your mom's gone and your son's gone. And, um. Yeah, got a lot of gratitude, a lot of things to be thankful for, but I mean that that's the reality of it. Every morning I wake up and they're both not here. Yeah, I missed those phone calls. But uh I so, still remember them. You know, I was lucky. I don't even want to say lucky, I was blessed at the end to be able to I remember our last conversation. I remember yeah. the last six months together. it was awesome. And uh I still have those. So So talk about working your recovery at that point because this has been two watershed moments in your life incredible deals and now you've got to move on from here talk about how it was you're about six months or so uh, in, into our program talk about that a little bit I've really I leaned on my my network that that's a big that's a big part of my story is I have that positive network so Going out on the softball field and playing, that's a big part of my recovery. It's an outlet. I can get out there. If I have any frustrations, I can leave them on the field that day, and I can get out there and run around, be with the boys. And It was hard at first, though. I mean, because I'm still, like you said, I was numb, but I was with it. So it was a confusing time because I didn't even, at that point, I didn't even know what I wanted. All I knew was I had to keep moving forward. It'll, it humbled me up quick because you start, you get a little, you get a little couple months under your belt and you think, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then something like that happens and you're just like, what now? Now, so, um, uh, at some point, maybe you remember, I'll, we'll see. At some point, Rollo said, okay, you need to start talking about it. And, um, and so you, he sent you into my class <laughs> uh, to share. Do you remember when that was? At that it wasn't. Point? It, was, it was probably a few days after my mom had passed. I think, I, I think it was. Mm-hmm. It was less than a month from when, when your son had passed, and and Mike said, "No, this is good for you. You need to do it." So he sent you in, mm-hmm. and you stood up there with me at the board with a bunch of guys, and they it was the new guys, so mm-hmm. they didn't really know you that well, and um, you just got open and vulnerable and honest and. Remember the emotions? Yeah, it was it was an emotional day. I broke down. It was it was good though because he had to take me in there kicking and screaming because I didn't want to do it because I knew I would break down and I didn't want to break down in front of all of those people. Yeah. And uh, so I just trust I trusted Mike. I trusted his judgment, and I went in there and I let you guys go in on me and I just let it go. I just let it go. 
And when I walked out of there, I just felt this huge weight lifted off my shoulders. It was because I kept everything in except for only a few close people like you and Mike and my friends. You know, I had kept everything in. But then just to do it and be able to do it in front of people and now I can, it's awesome because now I can go in there and don't even, it don't phase me. Do you remember the reaction of guys that day yes. after that? It was very, very, very supportive. They, uh, it was very powerful on them. Yeah, it was. And that's a big reason why I don't mind going in and talking now. Cause I actually see before I'm like, Oh, nobody's going to learn nothing from me. What? Is, I'm just, I'm, it's nothing special. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from guys saying it's one of the best things they've heard. As long as it gets them through one more day, I'm happy. And if I can share, if me going in there and talking to the guys that are just coming in or even guys that have been here six months that are struggling with what they want to do, then I'm happy with it. It feels good. So you you stayed, you finished your year and you graduated. Uh, By that time, you were an intern here Mm -hmm. and you had had, had leadership responsibilities and and, and important responsibilities. And um, sometime after that, you got a, um, a staff position. And you and your buddies. Yeah. You know, you guys all. The same ones that were with me through it all. I got to, yeah. we got to experience that together and to be able to give back to the place that saved all of our lives. It's unique. It's awesome. And you stepped away for a little bit, not because of your own choices, but it, uh, circumstances were such here. But we had an opening and, and uh, asked you back and you'll be back with us here on, on staff now. Say a little bit about why you want to work at Helping Up Mission. It's one of them things, man. I, the job I was doing, it wasn't satisfying. The money's good, and it, but it's not. it doesn't fill that hole. You know, I feel a calling just to be able to give back to the place that saved my life. And even the guys, in, it's not even just about the program. It's about the guys that are here in the program. I have a lot I can help them with. And just to be able to give back to them, even if it's just a little bit, or even if I'm just a, a ear to talk to or just to give them some encouraging words or it's more than the money. It's just, it, it's a special place. And I feel it when I walk in here, it's home. You know, this place saved my life. It's, I can't say enough about it. It's amazing. It's yeah. awesome. Well, we're, uh, we're really glad to have you back. And then there's one other uh, big deal that just happened in your life this last week. Can you want to say a word? Yeah, we, uh, <clears throat> had my son August 25th, eight pounds, 12 and a half ounces, and 20 and a half inches long. <laughs> Big and, boy. And so it, it, it's been how, how how many years since your son passed? Um, Two years just passed. Just, just over two years. And um, God gave you another man, son. Gave me a little blessing. He's healthy. It's, it's a beautiful thing, man, waking up in the morning and seeing that. Even if he's crying, it's yeah. good seeing him laying over there and just to be able to it's awesome it's just amazing giving some something else life and just that and he can uh he can grow up and never know about the old dustin Uh, hopefully i i went through the struggle so he don't have to and hopefully he'll won't be hard-headed like me and he'll listen but between me and his mom he's not looking good with the hard-headedness so (laughs) Well, um, what would you like to say to, to those folks who've 
who've invested in you, didn't even know you, but believed in us and invested in you here. What would you like to say to them? You matter. You're saving lives every day, lives like me. Not just, I'm not just thankful, but I'm sure my family is. Um, I'm sure my kids are. Sure, my mom was thankful to have her son for those six, her last six months. A real son, not her son showing up high. But you matter. Thank you. That's what I would want to say to him. And, and when a fireman says you're saving people's lives, that's pretty special. And that's exactly what they're doing. That's Absolutely. what you did. And that's what you're doing today here. And that's what those people do is they support each guy that comes through the program. Absolutely. Vic, anything else we want to add? I mean, you've touched on it, you know, a little bit in different ways and different points, but, but, uh, like, what, like, what are you, what what are your, what are your hopes today? I just, just being a father, being able to do what my father didn't, Mm -hmm. and that's be there for my kids, doing what my mom did, and that's take care of me no matter what. And going through what I went through, I'm not, hopefully won't be judgmental when it comes and, and I just want to be a good father I want to, I want everything I went through and my daughter she's 11 now so she's, she knows a little bit she's not she's not stupid by any means so she knows daddy wasn't healthy she doesn't know specifics about what I did but she's 11 so she's hitting that age I started making some pretty stupid decisions at, and uh, I just want to be there for my kids I want to be there for my family and that's all I can hope. I just want to be healthy for them. That's all I hope for. I just want to be there. I love being a dad. By God's grace, it keeps going. I want that. And back here now, you're going to be passing it on to the next guy. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to getting back. Man. Thank you for sharing, bro. Thank you. Absolutely. Price paid by Charles Chapman. As I seek my purpose, as I look to its intent, as I look over my past and all the torment, you would think that I'd learn all the mistakes that I had made. With this life's twists and turns, it's not just me who has paid. My kids pay the price. My kids feel the pain. They need their protector, of which I've abstained. Each day that I'm gone, I'm growing in God. I know they're not alone. My God, it's so hard. I pray, I repent. I give you this soul, so take my resentments. My past, I let go. Transform this guy to the man I must be. Transform my soul to the man my kids need.